You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And... Today, we're going to be reading Chapter 15, The Keys to Plural Marriage, but we are on Section 4, which is From Persecuted to Persecutors, Um, and we will be reading that tonight. It's a continuation from the last um, three shows that we have done, and we're going to be reading starting on page 277. And it looks like we will be reading all the way through, oh goodness, this looks like a long chapter too. I didn't check ahead of time. 
the reading to page 301, according to the studio. Okay, 301 sounds amazing. Um, you know, and if we are going to go all the way to 301, then we're going to be ending the entire chapter. So we're going to be doing both um, sections four and five tonight. So hopefully I don't talk too much. Um, Mark will be joining us in a little while. He is driving um, tonight, and he's in a not a good area right now, so it will break up too much if he does try or start to talk. So I'm going to go ahead and um, do the dedication. He usually says um, the date. It's Wednesday, August 18th, uh, 2021. It was our kids' first day of school today, and it was awesome. We had a great time. And we are just about ready for tomorrow for it to go all over again. Woo-hoo. So, all right. Woo. Let's do the dedication first. What, Emmett? I said woohoo. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Since you want to talk so much and you want to keep talking and talking and talking, why don't you do the dedication site? You say the prayer. And uh, if you want to, do you want to do that? Uh, I don't mind. Okay. So you say the prayer, and then I will begin the reading. Okay? Okay. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this day. Please help that we'll all be able to do the things that we need to do. Uh, Please let us be able to just have a decent radio show today um, that no one will stutter when they're reading that. Uh, we won't have any connection issues, all of that kind of stuff. Um, what else? Um, I ask that you just let everyone who's listening and everyone who will listen in the future, uh, that they will be able to do all the things that you would have them do and that you would like them to. And I also ask that you help my mom and I. Uh, I don't know if my mom's still sick, but uh, if she is, that will get better soon because we have a cough. Um, and lastly, I just ask that we'll be able to do this radio show today, okay? And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, amen. Thanks, Emmett. Awesome. So, uh, hopefully, also, um, that all this flooding, because we have a lot of um, raining going on right now, um all around where we live and there is flash flood warning so hopefully um we don't have any of the flash floods around here hopefully nobody gets hurt from it wherever everybody is and uh yeah so i'm hoping that too lots of prayers for them as well let's go ahead and begin this reading from persecuted to persecutors and this is on page two, it's right at the end of 277, and in Ensign to the Nations, Holy Priesthood, volume six, page 1015. The battle was over and someone had conditionally surrendered. What were the conditions? Leonard Arrington, former LDS church historian, explained the terms in Great Britain King, or Great Basin Kingdom, page 379, quote, as part of the deal by which was arranged during officials or church officials are said to have given congressional and administration leaders 
to understand that they would support a proposition to, number one, prohibit forever the practice of polygamy in Utah. Number two, that the church would dissolve its People's Party Kingdom organization and divide itself into Republic, Republican and Democratic supporters. And that the church would, number three, discontinue its alleged fight against Gentile business and relax its own economic efforts, United Order. The temporal kingdom, for all practical purposes, was dead, slain by the dragon of Edmund Tucker. End quote. Great Basin Kingdom, page 379. <clears throat> Within 10 years, the church had not only surrendered their basic political, social, and economic doctrines, but they began to oppose them. The enemies of Mormonism had ceased to fight against the saints, but the church itself gradually took up where they left off, and plural marriage was the most obvious target. The perpetuation of plural marriage has nearly always been a covert operation, accompanied by confusion and contradiction, both before and after the manifesto uh, members of leading quorums were divided in their opinions, some promoting it and some opposing it, and others even tried to spy and expose it. President Joseph F. Smith was saying one thing and doing another. He set apart patriarchs and state presidents as late as 1910 in Canada to live the principle and steal others in plural marriage. Edward Wood, Partridge, or patriarch and temple president, was among them, and he obeyed the charge given him. However, only a year later in 1911, President Joseph F. Smith claimed in conference report April 1911, page 8, quote, There is no man or woman in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who is authorized to contract a plural marriage. It is not permitted. I want to say that we have been doing all our, in all our power to prevent it or stop it. And in order that we might do this, we have been seeking to our utmost to find men who have been the agents and the cause of leading people into it. End quote. That's conference report, April 1911, page 8. What happened to those keys between 1910 and 1911? And also between all of the splinter groups and everything that went every different way, all these men did not stay with each other and they all were contradicting each other of who had keys and everything. Anyway, <clears throat> continuing on. A few years later, Heber J. Grant, President Smith's successor, repeated the same thing. In the conference report, October 3rd, 1926, page 12, quote, As president of the church, I once again solemnly declare that no man living has the authority to solemnize a plural marriage. And I hereby announce that it is the bounden duty of every Latter-day Saint, male and female, who knows of any such pretend marriage being performed to inform the proper officers of the church in order that the church's honor may be maintained and that such individuals may be dealt with according to the rules and regulations of the church and excommunicated therefrom. Conference report, October 3rd, 1926, page 12. Heber J. Grant was an enigma, at one time advocating plural marriage and at another condemning it. He lived plural marriage both before and after the manifesto. He was first a monogamist, then a polygamist, and then a monogamist again. Because of the time that he lived, 1856 to 1945, he found himself on both sides of the fence and giving contradictory statements. For example, five years before the manifesto, when the government was 
busy making laws against plural marriage, Heber J. Grant declared in Deseret News April 6, 1885, quote, no matter what restrictions we may be placed under by men, our only consistent course is to keep the commandments for God. We should, in this regard, place ourselves in the same position as that of the three Hebrews who are cast into the fiery furnace. We have but one choice, that is to abide in the law of God, no matter as to the consequence. End quote. From Deseret News, April 6, 1885. However, in June 1933, in a first presidency statement regarding polygamists, President Grant said in the Messiah, or I'm sorry, in the message of the first presidency, volume 5, page 316, the great law-abiding faithful church membership cannot and must not be bought into, brought into disrepute, or disrepute, nor their honor and good faith challenged. But a small group of recalcitrant and evilly led church members in rebellion, end quote, from Message of the First Presidency, Volume 5, page 316. Thus, he contradicted and condemned his own lifestyles. At one point, he had lived plural marriage trying to qualify himself for godhood. However, at another time, he considered it adultery. In Message of the First Presidency, Volume 5, page 317, it says, Quote, in order that there may be no excuse for any church member to be misled by the false representations or the corrupt, adulterous practices of the membership or of the members of this secret and oath-bound organization, it is deemed wise again to set out the position of the church. End quote. From Message of the First Presidency, Volume 5, page 317. Nine years after the manifesto, President Grant pled guilty to living plural marriage. It is a fascinating story. It says in Tribune, or Key Records of the 3rd District Court under date of September 8, 1899, also Salt Lake Tribune, September 9, 1899, quote, The tall, gaunt form of the apostle went up with a jerk, and he cast an uneasy but defiant glance at the half-hundred spectators as Judge Norrell said, The sentence of the court is that you pay a fine of $100 and in default of payment that you may be imprisoned in the county jail for 100 days. That is one day for each dollar of the fine. Grant quickly left the courtroom, walked to the clerk's office, wrote his check on the State Bank of Utah for $100, and handed it over to Deputy Clerk. Little in liquidation of the fine, the charge to which the apostle pleaded guilty, as stated in the information, was that he committed the crime of unlawful cohabitation on January 1st, 1899, and on diverse other days, and continually between January 1st, 1899, and July 15th, 1899, by unlawfully cohabitating with more than one woman. End quote. That's from the records of the 3rd District Court under date of September 8th, 1899, also Salt Lake Tribune, September 9th, 1899. Heber J. Grant lived to become one of the greatest opponents of plural marriage. He tried very hard to locate and excommunicate the patriarchs and state presidents that Joseph F. Smith had previously commissioned to keep plural marriage alive. Excuse me. Gospel Standards, H.J. Grant, or Heber J. Grant, page 159 says, quote, we have excommunicated several patriarchs because they arrogated unto themselves the right or pretended right to perform these ceremonies. And after our our having excommunicated several patriarchs, another one 
So I am informed has committed the same offense. I announced to all Israel that no living man has the right to perform plural marriages. I announced that no patriarch has the right to perform any marriages at all in the church, end quote. That's from Gospel Standards, Heber J. Grant, page 159. Heber J. Grant taught contradictory doctrines, and he lived a contradictory lifestyle. No wonder he was confused regarding the doctrine and keys of plural marriage. Sometimes it's different for a man to change his character even for his mother. When Heber was a young man, his mother told him to live righteously so that one day he might be called to be an apostle. Deseret News, September 17, 1938, quote, I always said to mother, get out of your head. I do not want to be an apostle. I do not want to be a bishop. I do not want to be a president of a stake. I simply want to live my religion and be a businessman, end quote, from Deseret News, September 17, 1938. And he was a businessman. Even while serving as president of the church, he was heavily involved in a business transa- in business transactions, such as mortgaging the temple, Temple Square, and other church assets on a 50-year loan to promote the U&I Sugar Company. It was 11 years after the manifesto before anyone was excommunicated for a living plural marriage. I know you want to say something. Let me finish this. <laughs> the selected victim was Apostle John W. Taylor, called the prophet of the corn. It was initially intended that he be a scapegoat to appease U.S. government, but eventually his excommunication was used as the example for all the believers in plural marriage. Go ahead. Uh, Well, they put the church under a 501c3 corporate status, but also that loan that they got by hawking the sacred temple properties, he used it personally to start Grant Insurance Company and enrich himself. So I'm pretty sure it'll talk about that or has. I just got on the show, so um, I got to mute myself, though, because I'm in a bad area. Okay, no worries. Good to hear from you. Okay, doesn't it seem strange that the one man who was the most gifted and spiritual in the Quorum of the Twelve would be the one selected to be thrown out of the church? Even Marquis Peterson was reported to have had something said something like those, <laughs> and then it says asterisk, pound sign, at symbol, and sign, and percentage sign. So those, bad word, fundamentalists, are getting the best people in the church. (laughs) The Mormon church believes Joseph Smith is a prophet, and so do the fundamentalists. So why are they at such odds with each other? The answer is simple. One believes everything the prophet Joseph taught, and the other does not. And the gap grows wider. The gospel net gathers fish of every kind, but there is a tendency in the church to lower its standards and requirements to the capacity of the majority, but the Lord does not want his elect held back to that level. Daniel H. Wells, counselor to Brigham Young, was among many who prophesied that there would be a people from among this people who would do whatever it would take to build his kingdom on the earth. In Deseret News, December 9, 1822, it says, Quote, and if we, as a people, do not hold ourselves on the altar ready to be used with our 
means and all that God has bestowed on us according to the master's bidding for the upbuilding of his kingdom upon the earth, he will pass on and get somebody else because he will get a people that will do it. I do not mean to say he will pass on and leave this people. No, there will be, there will come up from the midst of this people, that people that has been talked so much about, end quote. Deseret News, December 9th, 1882. These valiant few would not need to wait for church leaders to direct them in the eternal laws they should obey and priesthood keys they should use. Why were so many leading men in the church opposed to plural marriage? Simply because it had been had a bad reputation and they were trying to establish friendship with the world. For example, in 1933, Heber J. Grant, Anthony W. Ivins, and J. Reuben Clark wrote to the saints, Prosecutions under the Edmonds-Tucker Bill ceased, and a spirit of neighborly goodwill was established between members and non-members of the church. End quote. From the Message of the First Presidency, Volume 5, page 321. We're now on 284. This was their objective, and they were willing to pay whatever price was required to achieve it. My greatest happiness I find in the goodwill and friendship that has developed among all classes of people at home and abroad toward the Latter-day Saint Church during my lifetime in place of everyday persecutions and bitterness. We now enjoy the high regard and happy association with all denominations. End quote. From Heber J. Grant, Salt Lake Tribune. November 22nd, 1938. It is not given for one man to own that which is above another, wherefore the whole world lieth in sin. But this man enriches himself personally on church, on, well, funds from Babylon that he got by hawking church property, uh, getting a loan on it, to get, let the, you know, the devil get his claws into the church. But then the other thing, too, to be friends with the world is to be at enmity with God or in opposition with God. Or do you want to be friends with the world and try to, like, serve mammon and serve God? Uh, you can't. It, it, I, it's, I, I just don't understand, like, I know that we have scriptures in the church, but it just amazes me how people just ignore those scriptures. When I was a gospel doctrine teacher, I read in the, the manual that they gave me to teach out of, I think it was gospel principles or whatever, I can't remember. Anyway, I do I do remember reading... Uh, Stick to the material that is in this book. If anybody goes off topic, get them back to the book, basically. I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. I took two semesters in the book of Ephesians. But when I was a gospel doctrine teacher, every four years we would have one, one Sunday every four years of what, 30 minutes of maybe some discussion where most people don't even read the material before they come to class. It is disgusting how the LDS church can uh, pick and choose what scriptures they're going to read, ignore the rest, and then if you try to bring it up, they're going to uh, put a stop to that because 
you got to stick to the correlated manual. Do people not know that uh, to be friends with the world is to be in enmity or in opposition with God? Do they not understand that? If you raise your head up to disturb the devil's kingdom, you are going to have persecution. But you lift your head up for the truth and for true principle. And you're going to have persecution. That's just the way it is. That's the way it is. And if you want to let go of principles of the gospel and you want to be these lukewarm, smooth-talking, Babylonian businessmen who are wolves in wool suits, then this is the church you're going to get. This, this, don't worry about talking about deeper things. Don't share your sacred experiences. Stick to the manual, even if you're talking about a chapter or a section of the Doctrine and Covenants or whatever. You got to stick to the manual. And you are not allowed to let the class, I mean, if you're following the rules, you're not allowed to let, uh, let the class just, uh, you know, talk about other things, even if it's within that manual. I mean, within the scriptures around it, you know. It's, it's gaslighting, and it, it's sickening. It's lukewarm. The church is lukewarm, under condemnation and with a curse, because they are disobedient to what God has told them to do. And one more thing before I mute myself. If you are a woman who is not married, and you think that for some reason in the next life, God is going to make it all right, well, I have news for you. Alma talked about this life being the time for men, to pre- or for men and women to pre- uh, prepare to meet God. You do it here, and you do it now, or you don't get to do it at all. And that is the way it is. And I'm sick and tired of these smooth-talking Babylonian businessmen giving false doctrine and false opinions that are not based in Scripture to try to <coughs> try to um, I don't know, like ease the the worry. That well, I've never been able to get married. I have a friend over in Germany, Alexia. She is like in her late fifties. She's never been married. She's still a virgin. She couldn't find a decent guy to be with and to raise a family. Now, if plural celestial marriage was a thing, she would have found plenty of decent guys. But you know what? When there's too many good women who will not settle for these schmucks, then this is what happens. And she's not married. And I I told her once, and I think I talked to you, Kim, about this, but I was like, hey, if you ever need to be still to somebody, I can, can, you know, you can be still to me. And then at least you have the blessing. Not even a sexual thing, nothing to do with that. I've been friends with this woman for like 15 plus years, and I do care about her, but she's all, no, God will make it right in the next life, and it's like, you know what, if you believe that, make sure that God confirms that with the Spirit, because that contradicts Scripture. Today is the time for men to prepare to meet God. God has given us His law of plural celestial marriage, 
and being filled by the Holy Spirit of promise, and you have the information in front of you, and if you don't act on it, I don't have to tell you. Anyway, I'll mute myself. I just need This whole chapter irritates me. Just the whole thing. But anyway, I'll mute myself. Kim. Hello. Mom, are you there? Oh, yeah. I should probably have unmuted it before I started reading again. (laughs) That's why I was like, Kim, hello, are you there? I know, because I was reading, and then you said that, and then I was like, wait a minute, what? Hello, can you hear me? (laughs) My bad. Okay. Okay. Also, Emmett? All right, I'm muting myself. Okay, Lydia. Emmett, I still need water. Okay, continuing on. President Grant and the other leaders and members who fought against plural marriage got what they were after and will eventually be blessed accordingly. That was all that I had to read to be to the end of that section. Now we'll be doing the last section, section five. Yeah, groups and splinter groups. Yeah. Emmett, you don't get to ask why. You only get to do or die. If mom wants water, you get her water. I thought I had Oh, he, you sent it up with a little girl who had dirty hands, and I ended up having this cup. Well, you can see when you come up here. So, yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, let me continue on. Groups and splinter groups. Woo, woo. The last section. It has this little, um, like, bookmark-looking picture to the right of what I'm reading right now. And it's the line of authority for uh, to perform plural marriage, and it said, well, it says that it ended with Heber J. Grant because he admitted that he no longer held those keys. And the lineage looks like this. Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, John Taylor, Wilfred Woodruff, Lorenzo Snow, Joseph F. Smith, Heber J. Grant, George Albert Smith, David O. McKay, Joseph Fielding Smith, Harold B. Lee, Spencer W. Kimball, Ezra Taft Benson. Um, so that's authority through the senior apostle of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. However... And this is this is the difference right now. So you have splinter groups, all these splinter groups who are polygamists. There's a bunch of them. And um, they didn't get their line of authority through Heber J. Grant. Theirs all comes back to, um, you know, Joseph Smith and splinters off, not from even Brigham Young. It, it splinters off differently. So all of these people be, between Joseph Smith and Heber J. Grant there were all these other, it looks like a little tree, like a little root, and it just goes everywhere. John way. Taylor? So the, yeah, John Taylor. Well, from all of them, there's people that came from each line differently, and it looks like a huge, like, little splinter. So people believe that, oh, well, I didn't get it from them. Because everything was done, you know, a lot in secrecy, and, um, you know, it was just a confusion. They weren't supposed to do what they did after <laughs> Joseph Smith. They were not supposed to do what they did and supposed to make bargains with the devil to, in order to um, yeah, well, do what they did. And D- the churches DNC, sec- DNC Section 85 talks about the church being out of order and God having to send a prophet who is mighty and strong yeah. to set the to house set back of God in order. in order. And Isaiah, Isaiah saw the same prophet who was called mighty and strong going among the drunkards of Ephraim. And I asked God, and, you know what's and this funny? is Isaiah chapter 28, uh, I asked uh-huh. God who these drunkards were and why are they drunk, 
and he said that these drunkards are the Latter-day Saints, and they are drunk on the spirit of Babylon the Great, and they go whoring okay, off after other gods. Go ahead. Um, so I was going to say, with um, all of these groups and splinter groups, um, all of these people who think they had the aligned authority and it was all lost, and they were, you know, they all claim the same thing. When you go back to DMC, like what you were talking about, it, you know, all of them, every single one is out of order. It, it wasn't just, uh, well, I didn't get it from that line. I got it from a different line. So now they claim authority differently. The, everybody was set out of order. But though, anyways, and the one thing that is common, the one thing that all of these splinter groups, every single one of them have in common, and including LDS, the LDS uh, Brighamite Church, all of the splinter groups, believe that there is a Messiah coming, that somebody is coming to set this one mighty and strong is here, is going to be here and set the house of God back in order. So they think that's okay. Um, We don't know all of it right now, but it will be set back in order. They all know they're out of order, all of them. But I think they're waiting for some angelic being to come down or something. Yeah, the LDS church, they think that, that they're ever they're fine, you know. So they don't need to be set in order, and they the have all kinds of excuses. Yeah, the Brighamite. Uh, which I is don't just know. Some of the people in the Brighamite church do. believe that too. Well, I know some of them do, but officially, they think that. Okay, yeah, probably if, you not read, if you go and read the book One Mighty and Strong by Ogden Crad, it really goes into detail and all of this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. And the Brighamite Church, uh, the modern Brighamite about how, you know, I can't, no, uh, Partridge, he's the one that set the, because he was the bishop of the church, you know, so, uh, but whatever. Um, they've got excuses, but Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball and John Taylor they all talked about the one mighty and strong coming to set the house of God in order because they knew that they were out of order. They knew it. Yep. <clears throat> so um, I do want to say more of this. I'll wait till the end of the program. I am actually going to Oh, you're breaking up so yes, much that yes. it's hard to understand you. Can you hear me? Okay, I'll just mute myself. Okay. Okay. Sorry, you can continue what you were saying after, I'm sure. (laughs) Okay. The LDS Church, by vote, accepted the law of plural marriage in 1852. Then, by similar vote, they rejected it in 1890. It was their privilege and their right to make these choices, those choices. But plural marriage and other ordinances pertaining to the fullness of the gospel still remained as laws of the priesthood. The vote of the people cannot change priesthood laws. Unfortunately, since there was no defined priesthood organization separate from the church, many different groups began claiming priesthood authority and keys, and the calling to keep all the gospel doctrines intact and alive. As mentioned earlier, hundreds of men had been commissioned to perform plural marriage sealings, and most of the group leaders alive today claim their authority through one of only a few major lines. The following four charts taken from the 
Priesthood of Modern Polygamy, an LDS Perspective by Brian Hills and Max Anderson, pages 212, or I'm sorry, pages 12 through 13, show some of the claims of the authority as of 1992. There are also some, however, that claim to have received their authority and calling directly from the Lord in recent years. I haven't seen any of those claims. That's super interesting. Um, but the, one of them is the one that I, I have already read to you. Mm-hmm. I get this every once in a while where, oh, you, you think that you're the one mighty and strong, but all these other people are claiming it too. And I'm like, well, who are they? I'd like to yeah, talk to know. them. I want to understand, yeah. you know, because uh, in 2013, when I was being excommunicated for the LDS Church for believing the Adam God doctrine, um, I was really upset because the church was everything to me, and I knew all of the problems, but I didn't care. I loved just being able to go to church. I loved being in church. I wish I could still be there. I can't. They won't let me. They won't, leave. they won't allow me to speak on, you know, church property or whatever. But even though I never caused any problems within the wards. But anyway, um, <laughs> I went off on a tangent. And now I'm like, yes, what was I did. talking about? <laughs> I, don't, anyway, I don't know where um, you're going to. <laughs> well, people, oh, I was. Okay, so so I was really upset, and I was crying about this whole situation because I wasn't even allowed to be at my damn trial for excommunication. Okay, and I was like, I was trying. I told the state president. I said, um, I, I told them about my experience in 1995, and I didn't tell him any of the other stuff, but I did tell him about that, and. Uh, He's like, you're a bold-faced liar. And I said, well, I wrote President Hinckley a letter about that. It's in the church archives. And Elton Perry was sent to interview me. And when he was done interviewing me, he slapped me on the back, and he big smile on his face. He says, well, God's the one that chooses his prophets, because we sure don't, which he understood something I didn't understand at that time. So I'm really upset in 2013, and, and God says to me, he came to me and he said, kneel down and ask me who you are. And I asked God who I was. And I was, I'm not going to go into the full detail of that vision. But one of the things that I saw was that there is a quorum of mighty and strong ones underneath the first presidency for this earth. And that the Father, the Son, and the Witness are mighty and strong. And that there are 12 others who are mighty and strong. And that five for each major dispensation come onto the earth to assist in the work of the ministry. So it was Father Adam, who is Michael, who is the one who holds the keys of this earth, who is your father, spiritually and physically, and, uh, and his four. There were Enoch, Noah, Moses, and, uh, and Elijah. Those were, those were mighty and strong. The other prophets in that dispensation were part of the noble and great ones, which are like a, a quorum of the 70s, you know, seven, seven quorums of 70s, whatever. Jesus Christ came. He was mighty and strong. John the Baptist came as an Elias to prepare the way for him, 
and he was part of the quorum of the mighty and strong ones. And Peter, James, and John also came, and they were also part of the quorum of the mighty and strong ones, the twelve. And then in this dispensation, Joseph Smith came as an Elias to prepare the way and lay the foundation for God be witness to come in the flesh and that there will be others who are mighty and strong. So every time I hear about, well, that guy said he's mighty and strong, I want to know about it. But I, to this day, I only know of one other man who claims mighty, to be mighty and strong. One other man. And I do believe that he was one who was called mighty and strong in the preexistence. So there's three, there's two others that have to come still. Anyway, I'll mute myself. Mom, are you there? Yep. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, so I was saying there are other um, little diagrams, like the one I was reading before. Another one comes, it says Joseph Smith, and then authority transmitted via a council of friends, Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery, first members. And then it says purported 1886 ordinations of five men by John Taylor to continue plural marriage. Lauren C. Woolley, last living member, and it splinters off into two different um, ways, and it says one way is new council organized in 1929 to 1932, um, and the other side says he's given to a prophet in the Yucatan, Mexico in 1932. That's the Woolley independence. Um, the other one is J. Leslie Broadbent, um, and it's split with John Y. Barlow, and then Eldon Kingston, which you get the Kingston group from out here. That's Davis County Cooperative Society. There's also Joseph W. Musser, which is also split into Rulon Allred and Leroy Johnson. Um, under Johnson is Rulon Jeff, that's the Colorado City one. And under Rulon Allred is Owen Allred, the United Apostolic Brethren, or um, the AUB. And then the Council of Friends, the authority proposed by Joseph Muster in 1934, Woolley Independence um, deny the line of priesthood succession. <clears throat> so I that's from out of the two major authority. Sorry, I was going to say that's from out of the two. That's out of the two major fundamentalist groups existing today. Many more have mushroomed with their prophets. Also claiming authority to key. Oh, okay, there's a bunch. Sorry. There's Harmston. Yeah started that group over in Ephraim. There's the Kingston, yeah. and they're all over the place. There's the AUB. There's the yeah. Peterson group. There's FLDS mm -hmm. group. There's the people who live in the rock down by Moab. The rock people, mm -hmm. which I actually like them. And I actually like all of these. I like a lot of people in different groups. But I was just going to say uh, one of my lines of authority goes uh, to Joseph Musser, to Ogden Crowd, to Kevin Crowd, to myself. So, but um, so let me tell you the other ones too. Well, let me tell. There's two more okay. diagrams of this. One of them is Joseph Smith, okay. and then that is authority transmitted via the right of the firstborn, and then 1844 authority to Benjamin F. Johnson, the adopted son of Joseph Smith. And then 1905, authority to A. Dayer LeBaron, Sr. 
And then 1950s, the authority to Ross Joel Irville LeBaron, and then the Church of the Firstborn of the Fullness. And then that's the authority through the right of the firstborn as prophesied, or I mean, as proposed by the LeBarons in the 1950s. Nearly every son of Alma Dayer LeBaron claimed to be the one holding all the keys, the most publicized of whom was Irville LeBaron, who methodically killed his descendants or his dissidents and rivals while trying to maintain his sole claim to these keys. With the death of Joel, Irville, and Ross, this line of authority has become scattered, vague, and contradictory, and at times has remained very violent in enforcing their claims to keys. Well, because they believe in a false interpretation of blood atonement. And they're just, you know, there's these men who seek power. They seek power and wealth and all these things by claiming these authorities. You know, and they're going to purify those pure law, whatever. But, yeah, so, um, you know Colleen, my aunt? Yes, I do. Yes. She... Yeah. Um was part of that group that the LeBarons yes. were in up in Which is for a why while. she's so radical. Yeah. Well, now she completely... So, all right, one thing. Um, if God gives you a major revelation and then you just reject it and ignore it, you have a curse that comes upon you. And, and my, my aunt received a revelation in 2012 that I was mighty and strong. Now I did not. I did not get that revelation for myself until 2013, and the spirit kept trying to whisper to me, and I was like, "Nope, nope. There's no way. That's not me. That's not." And Kim and I used to joke around about like how my aunt thought that, and I was like, "No, she's getting a revelation from Satan or something, because that's not me." Anyway, turns out she did get a revelation, and it was a true revelation. Because God basically had to come down and smack me a little bit, you know, and show me some things about who I am and why I was called and all of this, which is part of that vision that I was shown, where I was shown that there were 15 who are mighty and strong for this earth. Anyway, but so she got that revelation but she never did anything about it because she's not going to listen to anybody but God. And God told me to tell her that we needed to gather together. But she's like, no, I'm just going to do what I want to do, which everybody does. Everybody does. Um, Sam Schaefer, he did it. Oh, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm just telling you what God told me. And if you want to listen, I mean, it's your free agency. They all fall. My aunt doesn't even believe Jesus Christ is Messiah anymore, even though she claims to have seen him face to face. She doesn't believe that the Jews are the right, uh, you know, she's gone off into the, the wilds of darkness because when God gave her a very powerful revelation, she accepted it, but then she didn't do anything about it. Samuel Schaefer was the same way. He got the revelation. He had thus saith the Lord revelations, giving him instruction on on different things. But they don't, they're not obedient to the revelation and they fall. 
God withdraws from them. If he gives you light and you reject the light because you want to do what you want to do, then there's a curse that comes along with that. Anyway, um, I'm just turning off a road drive just to let you know where I am. I'll mute myself yep. again, I guess. Okay. Can you hear me this time? Good. <laughs> yeah, I can hear you fine. I just had to unmute myself to tell you that, yeah. Okay, how are you taking sure? Okay, so independent, independence, distinct ideas on priesthood succession and the one anointed and appointed. And that is Joseph Smith held the keys of sealing. The authority was not needed or the private conduit to sealing authority and then the independence. And that's how that succession went. There are probably more independent fundamentalists who believe in the fullness of the gospel than those belonging to any groups. They range from LDS members who stay in the mainstream church to individual families advocating a strong family patriarchal system and living in the gospel uh, the best that they can on their own. Some of the independents attend group meetings but don't necessarily go along with their claims of authority. You can see the pamphlet Independent Fundamentalist Mormon by this same author. Um, Now we're on page 289. Rivalry has increased. That's what we claim. So we would have, I, I really wanted to be part of a group, even though I don't accept the claims of the leader of that group. And I'm talking about Gerald Peterson. And I was mm-hmm. tempted to, to join them. And God told me not to, uh, not to place anyone in authority above me, that I am his, or that God said to me, I am your final leader and you'll have no one between him and I you know, paraphrasing, but like, yeah, there's a lot of people out there who are LDS members and we see them at these fundamentalist gatherings, but they're still in the church. And if they're found out by the church that they dare attend anything to do with anything fundamentalist, they will be excommunicated because, you know, it's a, it's a cult. It's a power control cult these days. Anyway, and it's been that way for a long time, so go ahead. Okay. Now, rivalry has increased among the breakoff groups and their leading prophets. There are continual feuds and arguments over which men are commissioned to perform plural marriage sealings and who has priesthood keys. As soon as one of these breakoff groups becomes organized, it is the comp- it is in competition to the LDS church with each one gunning after the other. And the situation becomes a target for both media and law officials. It has been stated by many that those men set apart in the 1886 meeting were given only the keys to teach and live the fullness of the gospel, seal plural marriages and see that no year should pass, but that some, someone was married or born in this principle. Oh, sorry. After the meeting referred to, President Taylor had L. John Nettle write five copies of the Revelation. He called five of us together, Samuel Bateman, Charles H. Wilkins, George Q. Cannon, John W. Woolley, and myself, Lauren Woolley. He then set us apart and placed us under covenant that while we lived, we would see to it that no year passed by without children being born in the principle of plural marriage. We were given authority to ordain 
others of nece- necessary to carry, if necessary, to carry this work on. They, in turn, to be given authority to ordain others when necessary under the direction of the worthy senior by ordination so that there should be no secession in the work. He then gave each of us a copy of the Revelation 1929 statement of Lauren Worley as quoted in the Priesthood of Modern Polygamy, Brian C. Hales and J. Max Anderson, pages, page 253. According to one other who was a wife of someone on the group Priesthood Council, that sounds like total one time this one person, it was a long time ago, and I heard this from somebody else. That's how that sounds. According to one other, who was a wife of someone on a group priesthood council, there were certain things that these men were told not to do. Number one, organize. Number two, colonize. Number three, collect tithing. Number four, set up any united orders. Number five, proselyte. Number six, give patriarchal blessings. And number seven, hold public meetings. That was taken from the the betrayal of the Godhead, Godhead, priesthood work, and priesthood people. Genevieve Hammond, page 10. The reasons such warnings were given were that, number one, these areas were mainly the responsibilities of the LDS church. Number two, if the people concentrated on them, they would lose sight of their main commission to keep plural marriage alive. And number three, getting into these additional responsibilities would result in the creation of a hierarchy. And... It is the tendency of most leaders to become strong rulers who eventually exercise unrighteous dominion over the people, resulting in priestcraft rather than priesthood. It is a very perplexing problem today for individuals who want to enter into the law of Abraham to find someone to perform the sealing because of the restrictions established by the groups themselves and even some of the independent prophets. If the Lord should reveal to a man and a woman that they are to be joined in that law, and they approach someone they feel has that calling in one of the group, they are usually told that they must first be baptized into their church group and around attend meetings for a year and pay their tithing to them. These people feel it is priestcraft because it looks like they are required to pay for that ordinance. Let's briefly consider a few of the most often asked questions pertaining to the keys of plural marriage today. Number one, can people be sealed for time and eternity outside of the temple? This was answered in 1883 in Deseret News, April 1st, 1883, quote, while we were commanded to build temples, yet another certain, under certain emergencies, a pile of stones speedily erected as Jacob and others of old did would answer for an altar and be acceptable to God, for it is the authority and not the place that possesses the virtue. The temple is ought with the pre- without the priesthood. Ceseret News, April 1st, 1883. In the northwest corner of, of Temple Square, an endowment house was built in 1855 and was used for the endowments in marriage and plural marriage ceremonies. It remained in the use with little interruption for 34 years when it was taken down by order of Wilford Woodruff in the spring of 1889. That comes from Chronological History of the Church, Volume 4, page 15. Many saints went to Canada and Mexico to be sealed in plural marriage during the 1880s and continued for many years after the manifesto. There were no temples in those countries at that time. In the Kingdom or Nothing, Samuel W. Taylor, page 305, quote, after passage of the Edmonds Law, March 22, 1882, John Taylor issued an epistle on marriage, authorizing church marriages outside the temple or endowment house. This was the first step towards taking polygamy underground again, as in Nauvoo days. 
end quote, from the Kingdom or Nothing, Samuel W. Taylor, page 305. Number two, what right do people have to live plural marriage when the church has abandoned that law? We should ask here, were Moses and the 70 other faithful servants restricted from living the higher laws of the priesthood just because the majority of the Israelite children rejected them? When the Israelites rejected the higher laws of the priesthood, um, DNC 84, 25, and 27 says, quote, He took Moses out of their midst, and the holy priesthood also, and the lesser priesthood continued, which the Lord in his wrath caused to continue with the house of Aaron among the children of Israel until John, end quote. From DNC 84, uh, verse 25 and 27. In the Book of Mormon, Alma and others lived higher principles than the, the general membership of the church. In 1843 and before, Joseph Smith commanded men to take plural wives as a higher principle, long before it was accepted by the church. Until 1852, plural marriages were kept quite secret from the general memberships of the church, though most of them knew they were being performed. In Chronological History of the Church, Volume 4, page 57, it says it had been a matter of wide knowledge within the church for some time that such principle was believed and practiced by many of the leading elders, and yet None to whom this knowledge had come felt at liberty to make the proclamation of the doctrine. Neither was it, was it their prerogative to do so. End quote. From Chronological History of the Church, Volume 4, page 57. As we've already mentioned, the law of plural marriage is a priesthood law and not always a law of the LDS Church. Number three, recognizing the need for men to be set apart to continue plural marriage, did the Lord think, it was necessary for groups to be established to carry out this work. Little doubt exists anymore concerning the validity of the 1886 revelation, but the meeting following has been a matter of controversy. Lauren Woolley said that the President John Taylor foretold of the times when many of the saints would apostatize because of this principle. And so, in the Kingdom or Nothing, Taylor, page 367, to meet this contingency at the close of the meeting, he held a private session with five of the men whom he gave authority to perform mar marriage ceremonies. Lauren said, and placed them under covenant that while they lived, they would see to it that no year passed by without children being born in the principle of plural marriage. They were giving authority to ordain others when necessary. End quote from Kingdom or Nothing, Taylor, page 367. At this point, however, no church or group was organized. Such formalization was not even considered for over 30 years. Such a body, according to some, would run counter to the organization and order of the church. Those receiving this special commission in 1886 and afterwards took seriously their obligation to see that no year passed without plural marriage being performed and children being born in that principle. However, as the years passed, some began to organize, which was against the wishes and understanding of some others. Questions arose as to whether or not the Lord was in favor of such organization. Or organizing. According to Genevieve Hammond, the following incident happened indicating that organizing was not in the Lord's plan. <clears throat> this comes from O.S. Genevieve Hammond, quote, the following is a true happening that I saw witnessed and heard in the year of 1952 in the Salt Lake City, Utah, in the summer of that year. Our family always went to Sunday afternoon meetings of the group priesthood. At this time, it was being held at the Carl Fisher's home. The Sunday meeting had just been dismissed, and all people were in their way to their cars. As I came out the door, I noticed Lyman Jessup, 
talking to two men about 30 years of age who had come up from California to investigate the priesthood work. While I was waiting for our family to come out, I heard Lyman trying to convince these two men of the truth of Joseph W. Messler's call to the priesthood council of Ruin Allred and that they should follow Ruin. The more Lyman pushed, the harder these two men resisted accepting it. They were not convinced at all. Finally, after a few minutes and making no headway with the two men, Lyman Jessup said in desperation, well, if I'm doing wrong and doing things I shouldn't be doing, shouldn't be doing and saying these things, the Lord doesn't want me to say. I want the Lord to strike me down so I can't speak and do these things anymore. Well, the Lord took Lyman up on his request. He struck Lyman dumb on the spot, and Lyman Jessup never spoke another word in the rest of his mortal life. His family never knew what really happened to him and gave out the word that Lyman had a stroke. That's O.S. Jenna V. Hammond. Number four, who is qualified to be called a prophet and who holds these sealing keys? We read that when, then when went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they sought it out of Israel. That's from Exodus 24, verse 9 through 10. These men had Melchizedek priesthood, CD and C 107, verses 18 and 19. Joseph Smith explained in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 180 and 81, that the portion of priesthood which brought Moses to speak with God face to face was taken away, but that which was brought the ministry of angels remained. All the prophets had the Melchizedek priesthood and were ordained by God himself. End quote. From Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, pages 180 and 81. In the charge given to the 12 apostles in Joseph Smith's day, they were expected to speak for the same blessing. Okay. Okay. <sighs> I wish, so we get a lot of these quotes from Joseph Smith because somebody wrote them down when he was speaking, not because he wrote it down. So you can't trust all of the quotes, um, although there's a lot of truth in them. But there's things that are left out, you know, just because it's people taking down notes, basically. All right. Let me just talk about this fullness of the priesthood real quick. God cannot give you the fullness of the priesthood, or, well, he cannot give you the Melchizedek priesthood because you have to have the Melchizedek priesthood to be in his presence. These men received priesthood by people who had had it conferred upon them previously to God giving them the fullness of the priesthood. So in section 124, when it talks about the Father coming to give the fullness of the priesthood and how so many of these groups want to say, oh, that means the Melchizedek priesthood has been taken off the earth. Well, the Father, who is the Most High, cannot give you the Melchizedek priesthood. He has to send somebody else to do that. What he can give you, because you have to have the Melchizedek priesthood to come in his physical presence. But he can give you the, Mel- uh, the fullness of the priesthood, which is the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood, which is what Joseph was talking about when he said all the prophets. So Elijah had the fullness of the priesthood. Enoch had the fullness of the priesthood. Moses, that's how they were able to do the things that they did. They were given the fullness of the priesthood. Jesus Christ received the fullness of the priesthood directly from the Father on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
but he he had other powers because he was the only begotten son, and I won't go into the details of that right now. But all of the major prophets who received the fullness of the priesthood already had Melchizedek priesthood given to them. So when John or when Joseph Smith received the Melchizedek priesthood from Peter, James, and John, he then, if he was righteous and obedient, would receive the fullness of the priesthood from the Father himself. So I just wanted to clarify that for people that don't seem to understand. They they don't, it's like they, they know this is true and they know that's true, so because this is true and that's true, they make assumptions about things without understanding it. And they think, you know, they think, they start teaching false doctrine. But you cannot go into the presence of the Father, the physical presence of the Father, without having the fullness, or without having the Melchizedek priesthood. You'll be destroyed. So, yeah, if the Father is going to re, is going to confer priesthood, as always. Um, the only priesthood he really confers is the fullness, which is more than just the Melchizedek priesthood. It's a lot more. So anyway, go ahead, Kim. Oh, by the way, okay. I'm turning at the dealership, and I'm going to be going up to Huntington. So you know how it is going up to Huntington with my cell phone reception, even though we bought a $500 Okay, hurry up, because phone. I'm going to be done. <laughs> Yeah, we bought a $500 cell phone booster, so that does help a lot, but it doesn't cure all of my problems with cell phone reception. So, anyway, I'll mute myself. Okay, you do that. I'm going to keep reading. All right. In the charge given to the 12 apostles in Joseph Smith's day, they were expected to seek for the same blessings. In Oliver Cowdery, Doctrine and History of the Church, Volume 2, page 93, 95, and 96. Um, sorry, one second. Nobody was asking me a question. Quote, the ancients passed through the same experience. They had this testimony that they had seen the Savior after he rose from the dead. You must bear the same testimony or your mission, your labor, your toil will be in vain. You must bear the same testimony that there is but one God, one mediator. He that hath seen him will know him and testify of him. Sorry, she's asking me another question. In there. It is necessary that you receive a testimony from heaven for yourself so that you can bear testimony to the truth of the Book of Mormon and that you have seen the face of God. Your ordination is not full and complete till God has laid his hand upon you. We require as much to qualify us as did those who have gone before us. End quote. From Oliver Cowdery, Doctrine of History of the Church, Volume 2, page 193, 195, and 196. Who among all the leaders in in or out of the church today can bear this testimony? Yet certainly those who say they hold all the keys should be able to make this claim. Oliver Cowdery's charge to the Twelve was to serve as a guideline for any future apostles that would receive such a calling. They should be called to that position through manifestations from the other side. Lewis Kelsch testified to this procedure and said he had receiving this, his calling in the same manner. 
from Louis Alma Kelsch, pages 25 through 26. Hold on. Okay. Quote, this is from Louis Alma Kelsch, pages 25 through 26. In 1932, Lewis was told he had been chosen a member of the high priest apostles. He told his family and close friends many times just how he was called. Lauren Woolley received the call for Lewis the same manner as he had received it for five whom he had already called into that form. Lauren described all this to Lewis in detail and said it had been the same for the other men called. According to Lauren, sorry, it was not just a warm feeling in his bosom, but an actual visitation by a messenger from heaven. His father, Lauren's father, John W. Woolley, who had died earlier, came and asked Lauren as senior member if he would accept Lewis into the form. Lauren said he would. End quote. From Lewis Alma Kelsch, page 25 and 26. Some breakoff groups place great emphasis on what was called a council of friends, seven men who were commissioned to keep plural marriage alive in the 1930s. There is sufficient evidence to show that there were seven men selected for this assignment. Lauren Woolley, Joseph Broadman, John Y. Barlow, Joseph Musser, LeGrand Woolley, Charles Zitting, and Louis Kelch. But it is somewhat questionable as to whether or not they were intended to act as a formal quorum. The idea of an organized group of men was never taught at the 1886 meeting. After much research on the subject, Fred Collier very forcefully announced that he could find no evidence to support the existence of such a formal and organized council. Of late, some fundamentalists have attempted to substantiate the existence of the Council of Friends by identifying it with the Holy Order and the fullness of the priesthood. But you might just as well try to to dress a hippo in a small bikini as to make the holy order into the Council of Friends. The suit just doesn't fit. Fundamentalists who found their faith on a belief that the prophet Joseph Smith ever established a so-called Council of Friends composed of seven high priest apostles or any other number are following a fable. There is not a word of truth in it. And those who persist in this belief are just as misled as the leaders of the church who argue that the manifesto was a revelation from God. There is not one shred of evidence to support the existence of the Council of Friends, but on the contrary, all the evidence to utterly refute it, utterly refutes it. Why don't we all come clean and admit the truth? The time for such fables is past. The war is over. The teachings on the Council of Friends is a lie. And even if it is not as big a lie as the one told by President Grant and his lawyer counselor, J. Reuben Clark, it is nonetheless Still a lie. That comes from Doctrine of the Priesthood, Collier, Volume 13, Number 1, pages 13 and 14. Another important factor that should be considered when determining if someone has all the keys is whether or not there were any witnesses. John, when Joseph Smith received any great manifestation from heaven involving priesthood keys, there was always a witness, such as Oliver Cowdery, Sidney Rigdon, Hiram Smith, and the three and the eight witnesses of the Book of Mormon. There has been a multitude of prophets claiming all the kinds of keys that have shown up in the past several years. They testify of great and marvelous revelations, visions, and manifestations they have received, usually setting them up as a great person. But they fail to have any supporting witnesses. Even the Savior himself said, if I bear witness of myself, 
My witness is not true. That comes from John chapter 5, verse 31. Joseph Musser told this author that everyone in or out of the church should study to become thoroughly conversant with the fullness of the gospel and have the cottage meetings or firesides in their homes. In this small gatherings, in these small gatherings, the head of the household should preside regardless of who was present. It was suggested that others interested in the gospel be invited, and when they learn the fullness, they could have similar gatherings in their homes. This would spread the fullness of the gospel, placing the emphasis on gospel principles rather than people and leaders, and accomplishes more toward the setting in order than anything else they could do. At the same time, it would eliminate the tendency for one man to rise to the top of a group, claiming all kinds of keys and exercising unrighteous dominion over his associates. The LDS Church has greatly reduced their fight against those living plural marriage, but they still strongly oppose the doctrine. The label polygamists, they label polygamists as apostates, but their definition of the term apostate is very interesting. From the handbook sent to all bishops and state presidents, the following explanation and guidelines is circulated church-wide. Um, apostasy. As used here, apostasy refers to members who, number one, repeatedly act in clear, open, and deliberate public opposition to the church or its leaders. Number two, persist in teaching as church doctrine information that is not church doctrine after being corrected by their bishops or higher authority or continue to follow the teachings of apostate cults, such as those that advocate plural marriage. After being corrected by their bishops or higher authority, in such cases that communication may be necessary when repentance is not evident after counseling and encouragement. Total inactivity in the church or attending or merely holding membership in another church does not constitute apostasy. General Handbook, March March 1989, <clears throat> pages 10 through 3. Okay, or it's volume 10, page 3. I don't know, it's a dash instead. It says 10-3. How strange that we can be totally inactive or holding membership in another church, and that does not constitute apostasy. However, if we follow the teachings of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, such as those that advocate plural marriage, that constitutes as apostasy. Mercy, how terrible is the sin? of plural marriage for church members today. The church looks upon their role in plural marriage as the thing of the past and something to be forgotten. For example, LeGrand Richards was asked, what was the most significant development in the church during your lifetime? His response was, we have finally overcome the stigma of polygamy. Martha Bradley changed faces the official LDS position on polygamy, 1890-1990, Sunstone, February 1990, page 26. <clears throat> Church leaders have not only lost the keys of stealing, they don't even want them. In their effort to, make, to take the gospel to the world and become a world church, the leaders have instead created a worldly church. Instead of studying the laws of God, we have developed schools for studying the lawyer craft of the Gentiles. The Roman and more commonly accepted law of monogamy has been victorious over God's law of plural marriage. We teach the principles of Gentile businesses rather than God's laws of the United Order. Instead of trying to establish the government of the kingdom of God, 
we have sworn allegiance to the laws of the land and even the new world order. We think work and act like we think work and act like Gentiles and we adapt, adopt many of their laws, customs, morals and religious systems. When the Mormons voted in 1890 to obey the laws of the land, they adopted many of their other customs and standards as well. The condition of the saints in Brigham Young's day is even worse today, as Brigham Young so eloquently explained. I have had visions and revelations instructing me how to organize this people so that they can live like the family of heaven. But I cannot do it while so much selfishness and wickedness reign in the elders of Israel. Many would make of the greatest blessings a curse to them, as they do now the plurality of wives. The abuse of that principle will send thousands to hell. There are many great and glorious privileges for the people, which they are not prepared to receive. How long it will be before they are prepared to enjoy the blessings God has in store for them? I know not. It has not been revealed to me. I know the Lord wants to pour out blessings upon this people, but were he to do so in their present ignorance, they would not know what to do with them. End quote. From Journal of Discourse, Volume 9, page 269. It is a bleak and, dis- and a dismal effort for those today who try to find a genuine prophet, seer, and revelator, such as those whom the Lord has previously called and appointed. Could we be living in the time when there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour? Revelations verse eight, or chapter 8, verse 1. And when there was to be a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord, that's Amos chapter 8, verse 11, we are certainly further away from Zion today than ever before in this dispensation. And as Isaiah so bluntly described in Isaiah 28, verses 8 and 9, for all tables are full of vomit and filthiness, so that there is no place to clean. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. End quote. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 8 and 9. With this, the author rests his case. Now we're on page 301. And there is a summary statement which I will read. If you have any questions or comments, so you can get online and get in the chat room and give us a quick um, question or a comment is fine also. Or you can call in. The call-in number is 917-889-8827. And if you press 1, then we can bring you up into the screening room, and you can ask questions or comments there, as well as being brought online if you like that sort of thing. So I'm going to read this summary statement rather quickly as I do read. And um, then, Emmett, you will refresh the studio, watch the studio for us uh, super quick. And um, if, it, if, it is, if nobody is there, then we will just move on and call it an evening. Um, so let me just read this super quickly. The summary statement says, It is not the purpose of this author to debate lines of priesthood authority, nor accept or reject certain so that the others are better qualified to make correct determinations for themselves. I think you broke up there for a second. Uh, there was like a beep, and that was weird. Did you hear the beep? 
No, I did not hear a beep. Okay, well, it was just me. I heard a beep. But you can still hear me. Let's uh, continue on anyway. Number one. Okay. He has had the priesthood properly conferred upon him. Number two, he can make a valid claim to the keys and calling he has received. Number three, he honors, supports, and defends all the eternal principles, doctrines, and laws of the gospel. Number four, he does not advocate following a leader rather than God. Number five, he does not go beyond his calling in the use of his keys nor restrict himself from going far enough. Number six, he is a servant to others rather than a ruler. Number seven, he does not use force or compulsion upon others in trying to get them to join, tithe, or consecrate to a particular person or group. Number eight, he does not prevent others from having necessary ordinance work done. And number nine, he recognizes and uses his priesthood power as being inseparably connected with the powers of heaven. That's DNC 121 verse 36. Number 10, he is willing to pass through the fire in whatever test the Lord might place upon him and endure to the end for saith the Lord that I will prove you in all things whether you will abide in my covenant even unto death that you may be found worthy. That's DNC 98 verse 14. Let every man listen to the voice of him who speaketh to the word of the Lord your God and hearken to the calling wherewith you are called. End quote. That's from DNC 81 verse 1 and that is the end of the reading. We are now on page 302. Tomorrow night we'll be reading. Well, we may not be reading because... Uh, Mark has the night off. Yay! And that makes my life a little bit easier. So when we come back and are reading again, it might be Friday, Saturday. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe on Monday. We're going to be reading Chapter 16, The Conclusion, Securing This Great Treasure. Ooh. Sounds interesting. Let me just read you the first little little subheading thing on this. Hey, how's it going? Let me just read this quote really quick. Numbers, chapter 11, verse 27 and 29. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, El Elad, or Eldad, Eldad, okay, and Medad, do prophesy in the camp. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake, would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them? End quote. From Numbers chapter 11, verses 27 and 29. And that will be all that I'm reading from that. We have had a really long reading tonight. This is going to be great. Hi. Hi. Okay, I'm up at Huntington. I'm up at Huntington Power Plant. I can hear you. I can't get off the radio. I know it's so irritating. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so they talked about. Okay, thanks. All right, I guess I can go down. No problem. All right, so um, I got to dump my trailers on the ground now, so that's fun. Anyway, um, it talked about like having a witness to certain things, and I do have a witness. But I cannot get him to do anything. And there's a curse that has come upon him, you know. No, he can just come on the back pile up against the video and go to the right. Yeah, but I 
Anyway, so, um, and you know that he exists, but he will not do anything that he's been told. And he has received specific revelations directly from the Father about what he's supposed to do, and he refuses to do it. And I'm so irritated because I wish that somebody else, or I wish God would show these things to somebody else. So it's not just me saying, yeah, I did have these experiences. But, you know, what are you going to do? So, anyway, but Kim, you could talk a little bit about jo- uh, uh, Joshua Sparks, because you know about him. A little bit. Um, can you still hear me? Am I muted or no? You're good. Hello? Oh, okay. Um, I can hear you. I don't have a lot to say about Joshua. Joshua... Um, came into our lives, said that he had seen in a vision where God ordained you or ordained Mark. And then, um, and then he decided to run the other way, like a, uh, what is his name? Like a Jonah. And then, um, he lost a lot of his health. He wasn't doing so amazing. We were praying for you though, Joshua, if you're listening. And, um, he decided to get into another church where he is currently a pastor or something. Well, and you know he, how I'm um, talking about how he his like, dad almost died too. What's that? Yeah. Didn't his dad oh, almost yeah, die too? Oh yeah, his dad. Yes. Like there was a huge curse that came upon him, and he's still alive. Yeah, it was really sad. And every once yeah. in a while, he'll contact me. But mm-hmm. you know what? It's like I said before. When you raise your head up to oppose the devil's kingdom, you're going to receive persecution. It's part of the reason why I'm so hush-hush about certain things among people that we know. Because I'm sick of it. You know, I, but I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But, well, I'm doing part of what I'm supposed to do. But, you know, I can't do it all. Because it has to have, there has to be a group effort. So, like, people are like, well, if you're the one mighty and strong, why don't you sit the house of God in order? Uh, well, I can only do so much. There has to be participation by people who also have been given revelation that these things are correct, true and correct, you know? And when they are given revelation, Satan goes after them tooth and nail, and then they all run away because they're scared or something. I don't even know. Anyway, it's, it's one of my frustrations, you know, because I'm supposed to do all these things, and right now it's teaching. And that's what Isaiah saw. It's a mighty and strong. Okay. So, anyways, I think that you're uh, probably busy with that and something. So, um, oh, there you are again, back and forth. I'm sorry, I'm leaving Huntington Power, and they're talking about the kid that got killed today on the he- in the head-on collision with a coal truck south of Huntington, yeah, Utah. Yeah, it's sad. Yep. 
So, and there's a flash flood warning, and we're all scared Gentry is going to have another flash flood, and that's right where yeah. I'm at. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, um, I will. I'm going to go into the void again, and so I just. Uh, I'll just let you wrap up the program. Thanks for reading. Yeah, we're Tim. just going to go ahead and end it. Emmett, did you already refresh uh, the page? Yeah, it didn't look like anyone was on there. Okay, sounds amazing. So um, we're going to see you guys, or you can hear us again soon. Um, just a few more days in Monday, and we'll, re, re, uh, we'll go on to the next chapter, I suppose. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening, and um, hope you guys all have a wonderful evening and the next few days. God bless, and... Good night. Hold on a second. My tablet is being stupid. Okay.